everybody, what's up? I thought I would go ahead and post the discipleship talk um, that I'll be doing in Kenya in June of 2012 at the Pastors Conference there in Eldoret. So this is about 40 minutes long or something like that. I'll probably re-record this before I go and, and before I use this for the video portion. Um, but I thought I would go ahead and put this up there as I just mentioned it in the most recent podcast that I did yesterday. And it is pretty much what I'm going to be saying there. I'll probably be saying it a lot slower when I do it in Kenya and giving more time for looking up the, the references and things like that. So anyway, it is the first part of the discipleship talk. I'm essentially doing six or seven talks, depending on how you count it, uh, at the conference and two on each subject, discipleship, evangelism, and leadership. So this is the first discipleship. The second part of the discipleship section, at least right now, what I have planned to do is to use that hour and a half or so to uh, disseminate some of the material that I will have for them, the Bibles and the cell phone Bibles, cell phone concordances, and the audio teaching material and things like that. So the second session will be less of an instructional speech type of thing and more of a functional um, thing. Okay, so here it is, Discipleship Session 1 for the upcoming Pastors Conference in Kenya in June 2012. In Matthew 28:19, Jesus told us to make disciples of all nations. So we know exactly what the Lord wants us to do. The question is how should we do it? But before we can answer that question, we need to know what a disciple is. The Greek word for disciple is methetes, and it basically means a follower. So a disciple of Jesus is one who follows Jesus. In the Bible, there are many places where Jesus tells us what it means to be a follower of him. It seems like every time he talked about discipleship, he said things that were difficult to hear. For example, in Luke 14, we'll start at verse 26. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all those who see it begin to mock him saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. He says here that we must deny ourselves to be his disciples. Jesus does not want us to actually hate our parents and children, of course. We see in John 19, 26-27, that Jesus loved his earthly mother and cared for her by telling John to take care of her even when he was dying on the cross. But our commitment to Jesus must be so great that it makes all of our seem to be hate by comparison. Jesus says that there must be nothing more important to us than him. He says we must take up our cross and follow him. If you're carrying a cross, you're walking to a place of execution. You know that there's no turning back. You are totally committed to the mission of following Jesus. 
In verse 28, he says we must count the cost of being a disciple. It's hard for some people to follow Jesus because there are things in this world that they want more than him. We must count the cost. Are we willing to lose those things for his sake? He told the rich young ruler in Mark 10 to sell all that he had to follow him. He didn't tell everybody to do that. But this particular young man had something in his life that he loved more than Christ, and that was money. And he needed to be willing to forsake his money and follow Jesus. In verse 31, he talks about warfare. He said that following him would be difficult. It would include spiritual warfare, hardships, and suffering. He asks them to consider this before deciding to be his disciple. When people would ask Jesus if they could be his disciple, he would always give similar answers. In Luke 9, verse 61, we see another example of this. It says, And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus again tells people who want to be his disciples, that it will require all of their heart. Jesus did not seem to care about large numbers of disciples. He often turned down people who were asking to join him. Jesus wanted high-quality disciples, not large numbers. He rejoiced in one sinner that repented, but 10,000 who only professed to repent would give him no joy. Being a follower of Jesus is something that happens in your heart, not in your mind. It is not learning about doctrine in a class. Discipleship is not a program that you can graduate from. Discipleship is something that you will be learning how to do all of your life. All of us are still learning how to follow Jesus. We continue to learn about denying ourselves. We continue to learn about forsaking the world. We continue to learn about how great Jesus is and how worthy he is of our worship. So the question is, how do we do what the Lord asked us to do? How do we make disciples of all nations? How do we teach our people to forsake the world? How do we teach people to deny themselves and to follow Jesus instead of their own hearts? In one sense, Everything you do as a pastor is part of this kind of discipleship. When you preach, you are teaching them how to follow Christ. When you are helping them with their personal problems, you are discipling them. When you evangelize, you are teaching people to follow Christ. When you help orphans and widows, you are showing an example of discipleship. Discipleship is not simply one of the things that the church does. Discipleship is what the church should be doing every day. My goal today is to teach you what the Bible says about how to make true disciples. I hope to give you some practical ideas on how to do this in your churches. First, you must realize you cannot make an unsaved person a disciple. You can teach an unsaved person doctrine in a class. You can teach an unsaved person how to act like a Christian. But it is impossible to make an unsaved person into the kind of follower that Jesus wants. He is not able to love Jesus more than himself. 
So the first step in making disciples is evangelism, the gospel. You must be converted in order to be a disciple. Often, when a person decides that they will forsake all and follow Jesus is the same moment in which they are saved. The word repent means to change your mind. So, when people repent, they change their minds about sin and living life for themselves and decide to follow Jesus. You need to work with people in your church who are not truly saved and lovingly get them to change their minds or repent before you can begin to disciple them. But evangelism is not the main job of the church. This may be shocking to you, but it's true. The main job of the church is to make healthy sheep, to feed your flock the word of God and have them grow strong in their understanding of it. Healthy sheep reproduce themselves. Your people will evangelize if they know and understand the word of God. In Matthew 13, verse 23, it says, But he who received seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some one hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Notice, it is not simply hearing the word in this verse, but it says that they must understand it too. So, by raising healthy sheep, you will also get evangelism. Disciples who understand the word bear fruit. But if you try to evangelize the world with unhealthy sheep, you will get unhealthy converts. The main areas where you will be teaching about discipleship are in your sermons and in your personal discussions with people. In both of those areas, you must realize that it will not be your words that transform them, but it is the Word of God, rightly understood, that will transform them. The problem is, is they need someone to show them the Word and help them understand it. Turn to the book of John, chapter 8, starting in verse 31. It says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Abiding in the word will make disciples. Jesus' words have the power to transform people into disciples. It is his words, not our words, that will make your people desire to follow Jesus. Turn to John chapter 17, starting in verse 17. This is the great prayer of the Lord for all of his disciples. It says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We are sanctified by hearing and understanding truth, which is the word. When a person is saved, they have committed themselves to following Jesus, even though at that time they may only know a few things about him. They know that he loves them, they know that he died for them. But to become a mature disciple, they need to learn about this God whom they've committed to. For example, if you got a job at a great company, and let's say you had been working there several years and it paid very good, then one day you found out that there was a new owner of the company. You would want to learn about this new owner. You would want to find out what kind of person he is. You would want to find out what he likes and what he dislikes. The more that you knew about him, 
the better you would be able to serve him. It is the same way with the Lord. The difference is that our boss, Jesus, is perfect and loving and just. The more that we know and understand about him through his word, the more we will love him. The harder we will follow him. The truer our worship will be of him. So, we need to teach our people the word. We need to become scribes for the sake of those we shepherd. This book claims to be the revelation of who God is. His personality is found from Genesis to Revelation. I believe that we must teach our people this entire book faithfully. And as they are fed the word, they will grow. Our job is to build a bridge from the word of God to them. Let me explain what I mean by that. There are thousands of years between the events in the Bible and today. Much has changed during that time. The cultures we live in are very different from the culture of the Bible. In order to fully understand many things in the Bible, we need to understand the culture of the Bible. So, you will need to know all of that kind of stuff. You need to become experts in the Bible for the sake of your people. Our job is not to come up with new messages, but to make the message of the Bible understandable. If you are a teacher, you are a bridge builder. You build a bridge from the time and the culture of the Bible to your time and culture. For example, there are many things that the Lord said that would help us grow in our discipleship. But if we don't understand what he is saying because of differences in culture, then we miss that opportunity to learn what he is teaching. We need to feed our sheep. Matthew 4, verse 4 says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Many times the Apostle Paul refers to teaching of the word as either milk or meat. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 10. It says, Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say, and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundations of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of the doctrines of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. In verse 10, Paul mentions the Old Testament Melchizedek, who is a very interesting person. Paul knows that many things can be learned about Christ from the study of Melchizedek. Paul wants to teach them some of those things, but these people are not ready. It's the same way that a baby is not ready to eat meat. In verse 12, it says that they ought to be teachers by now. Paul expects them to be eating solid food at that time in their life. He believes that they have had enough time to get to that point in their discipleship. 
and he is very disappointed that they don't understand the deep things of the word of God yet. Notice in verse 12, he says that they still need to be taught the first principles. In chapter 6, verse 1, he tells us what he considers the first principles to be. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These things are the basic teachings of Christianity. If every Sunday we teach only messages of evangelism, or basic things, we are not giving our sheep solid food. And you should not expect your sheep to become strong and reproduce healthy sheep. Notice verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Unskilled in the word. Paul compares Christians who are not skilled in the word as babes. We want to have our people skilled in the word. Are your people skilled in the word? The goal of the church is making mature Christians. Turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, starting in verse 11. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In verse 11, it names some gifts that God has given to people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. In verse 12, it tells you what every one of those gifts given to the church are for, for the equipping of saints and for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That word edifying means to build up the body of Christ. If you have been given a gift, it is for the building up of the body of Christ to maturity. The equipping of the saints in verse 12 is similar. We are to use our gifts to equip our saints. Turn to Colossians 1 verse 28. It says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. First of all, note that the word here for perfect is teleos, which means complete or mature. So Paul is saying that he preaches and warns and teaches every man in all wisdom for what purpose? What is the goal of Paul's preaching and teaching? Verse 28 tells us the answer, that he may present them to Christ as mature Christians. As shepherds, we need to be more concerned with the maturity or health of our sheep than the number of our sheep. How do we do this? How is this any different than what you may have been doing already? You may be thinking, I already teach from the Bible every Sunday. This is probably true but I'm going to suggest another way to do this. You can listen to what I'm going to suggest and pray about it later and see if God leads you to try it out. You may have learned in Bible school that there are different types of sermons. Topical and expository are the main types. Topical is when you decide what you're going to preach on and you find Bible verses to support your topic, like marriage, for example. This can be good, and it may be that the Lord puts certain topics on your heart to talk about. Expository preaching is when you preach a particular passage in the Bible trying to explain what it says. Your main point in an expository sermon 
is whatever the text's main point is. With both of these methods, a preacher can go his entire life and never preach on the parts of the Bible that he doesn't like. If a preacher is in error about some doctrine, he will never have to read the verses that contradict his belief. He simply will decide that he won't preach on those verses. This may be good for the preacher, but it is bad for his sheep. There is a method of preaching that fixes this problem, and I believe it is the best. It was the method of preaching that I was discipled with. It is a method that is causing a revival in America and is creating well-fed sheep who bear fruit. It is expositional, but it is not only expositional. It is book after book, verse after verse expositional teaching. In other words, it is a decision you will make to go verse by verse through the Bible, preaching on every single verse, not skipping anything. You don't always have to go in order, but you should be committed to going through every book, at least in the New Testament. Depending on how much you preach each week, this could take several years to finish. And when you do finish, you start all over again. What we do in my church is go through the New Testament on Sundays, when more people are there, and on Wednesday nights, when less people come, and only really hungry sheep are there, we go through the Old Testament. This way, every Sunday, God has already written your sermon for you. You never have to think about what you're going to preach on again. If you finished Luke chapter 1 last week, you know that you'll be preaching on Luke chapter 2 next week. This actually means that instead of one topic, you'll often cover many topics in one Sunday. In one chapter of the Bible, you will find opportunities to preach on faith, giving, marriage, prayer, parenting, and lots of other topics. It's like preaching ten small sermons that God chooses every Sunday. The difficult part is deciding what not to preach on, because there are so many things to talk about in one chapter and there is limited time. The other great thing about this is that the Bible talks about every topic that people need to know. Every possible topic is covered at some point in the Bible. Even if you did a very good job of choosing the topics for Sunday sermons, you would never remember to talk about every topic that the Bible mentions. So, this is a way to make sure you give them all that God wants them to know. Every person will have a different style of this kind of teaching. Some will go fast, one or two chapters every Sunday. Others may be more slow. Maybe you want to explain more about each verse. You may like the pace of five to ten verses every Sunday. This also gives God an opportunity to bless you. They are his sheep. He said to Peter, feed my sheep. God wants his sheep to grow. When God looks down and sees a new Christian, he will look around the area for the shepherd that is feeding their sheep. God loves his new sheep, and he wants what is best for it. God will lead that person to whomever is doing a faithful job. If you are only preaching on topics that you are interested in every Sunday, then God will send that new believer to someone who is teaching his flock the word. In America, this is causing a revival. While the older and bigger churches are losing members, those who are teaching the Word of God verse by verse 
are flourishing. Yes, this method will grow your church, but that should not be the reason you do it. You should want your sheep to be the healthiest sheep in the area. Even if God has only given you five people, be faithful with what God has given you. Make them the strongest sheep in Africa. We need to stop comparing ourselves by the number of people in our church. God does not care about that. We need to compare ourselves with the health of the sheep we have. I'm not saying that this is the only style that you should preach. There are always occasions for topical sermons, if the Lord puts something on your heart, or funerals or weddings or conferences like this one. But with consistent book-by-book, verse-by-verse teaching, you will see your people grow. You are letting God pick the topics, and you are helping them to understand what God is trying to teach them. This will also protect you from false doctrine, because you will have to let the Word rebuke you. When you know you have to preach on a difficult verse on Sunday, you will study it harder. You will learn new things. This will also protect your people from false doctrine. If you turn back to Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, this is where earlier we learned that the purpose of the church was to build up the body of Christ. Let's start again at verse 11 and continue to read until we get to verse 14 this time. And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints unto the work of ministering unto the building up of the body of Christ, till we all attain unto the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a full-grown man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men in craftiness after the wiles of error. Full-grown sheep are protected from false teachers. Satan always takes advantage of Christians who do not know the word. I know you have seen this many times in your experience. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, Paul calls a pastor's conference like this one. Let's turn there to Acts chapter 20. He wants to tell the pastors something important, and he wants to see them one last time before he goes to Jerusalem. In verse 27 it says, For I shrank not from declaring unto you the whole counsel of God. Take heed unto yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you bishops, to feed the church of the Lord, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departing grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Paul tells these pastors to feed the church of the Lord. He is very concerned with them teaching the word to their sheep. But look at why he is so concerned about the need to feed them in verse 29. He says, I know that after my departing, Grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. When a pride of lions look for a wildebeest to eat, they look for a baby, or they look for the one that is sick or injured. They know that if one is healthy and full-grown, it is dangerous and difficult for them to kill. Paul says the same is true about your flock. 
First Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is looking for weak sheep, or sheep that are babies in the word, to devour. Christ has bought himself a church, and he has put you over some of them. He wants you to feed them. He wants to lead his new sheep to a place that has good doctrine. Some may be thinking that this would make it hard to preach the gospel on Sunday. Just because you are teaching does not mean that you won't have an opportunity to preach the gospel. Every chapter in the Bible has some way to preach the gospel. One of my favorite preachers, who is known for finding a way to get the gospel into all his sermons, said, Wherever I am in the Bible, I beat a path to the cross. The entire Bible is about Jesus, and if you look hard enough, you will always find an opportunity to glorify Him. Evangelism and teaching can happen at the same time, on the same Sunday, in the same chapter of Scripture. Do not rely on your speaking or clever words to grow your church. There are only two ways that your church will grow. You can feed their flesh and tell them what they want to hear. People will come to your church if you do this, but God will not be pleased. Or you can feed their spirits with the word of God. This is where you will tell them what God wants them to hear. This will also grow your church, because God is the one that is in charge of sending people to your church, and he wants to send them to a church that is teaching them the whole counsel of God. If you have been feeding their flesh for many years, don't be surprised if some people will walk away if you tried to feed their spirits. But be of good cheer if this happens. Sometimes God has to subtract a little before he multiplies. We want to start impressing God with the quality of our sheep and stop trying to impress men with the number of our sheep. You should decide that your sheep are going to be the most knowledgeable about the scriptures and the most loved sheep than any in your entire city. Then you can watch and see what God does. I have many examples of this type of preaching available for you in Swahili and English. In the next segment, I'll talk about how to get you some of this material. I have many tools I want to give you, so please try to make it to the next session. Because if you're going to teach the Bible, you're going to need some tools. I'm going to move on to another way that you can make disciples. That is through your personal counseling. You are always talking with people about the most important things in their life. You, as pastors, are who they are going to when they have big problems or when they are struggling with sin. You are there in the good times, like marriages and new babies, and in the bad times, like deaths and suffering of all types. These times are just as important in making disciples. They are at turning points in their lives. What you say to them will be taken very seriously. There are several areas I want to talk about in relation to counseling. The first is their questions. New Christians ask questions, and that's a good thing. Don't be frustrated with their questions. Take the time to answer them. If they ask you difficult questions about the Bible, you should rejoice. 
especially if you do not know the answers to the question, because it gives you an opportunity to study the Bible. Tell them you will go home and study the scriptures and give them the answer later. And next time that someone asks you the same question, you will know the answer. It is sometimes easy to be frustrated with someone who asks so many questions. But it is joyful because it means you have a hungry sheep. Rejoice that they are hungry and give them good biblical answers. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify in your hearts Christ as Lord, being ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason concerning the hope that is in you, yet with meekness and fear. When people ask, be ready to give them an answer in meekness and fear. New Christians will grow the fastest when you are personally helping them with their questions. If they have many questions, it may help to tell them to write them all down, and then you can take it home and study. This extra time is sometimes necessary for people. Another area is when you're talking with people about their problems, especially about their sufferings in life. We need to teach people how to rejoice in sufferings. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3. It says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. There is an opportunity for your people to grow even in their time of great suffering. Christianity is the only religion that has a reason to rejoice in suffering. Romans 8, 28-29 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, and to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It says in verse 29 that the good that all the things are working for is to make you more like Christ. Sufferings do not always make people more like Christ. They sometimes make people angry and more distant to Christ. During their time of suffering is when they will either move closer to Christ or further away. They need you to help them to move closer to Christ and not further away. This is part of their discipleship. Teach your people to expect sufferings, so they are not surprised by them. So much teaching tells people that if they are Christians, then they should not expect to suffer. But this is not the teaching of Scripture, and if you teach this, it will harm them when they do suffer. Another area of discipleship is related to your example. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. It says in verse 1, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. 
In verse 3, it says to be examples to the flock. In this book, Peter is talking a lot about persecution and the need to die with honor. So he is saying to the pastors that they need to die well as an example to the others, so that when their time came to die for their faith, they would be strong. But this also applies to your spiritual dying. Your example of dying to the things of the world is important. One of the greatest gifts you can give your flock is to be a true example of a follower of Jesus, for them to see you as an example of what a disciple looks like, how a disciple reacts to adversity or sufferings. They are all watching you, learning about being a disciple through you. Sometimes the Lord may bring hardships in your life so that your church can watch how you react to it. Another area in your personal relationships with them that's important is your encouraging them to do what is hard to do. There are many areas of the Christian life that requires work, but are very important, like prayer and reading the Bible regularly. Matthew 26 verse 41 says, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing here to pray, but the flesh is weak. If you were a coach of an athlete, you always would be coaching them to practice. You know that they need to practice, and you know that the flesh is weak. So we need to remind people about it. Are you praying regularly? Are you reading the Word, you might say? Encourage them. Tell them how it has helped you in your life to do these things. So always be coaching them in those things. So let's review what we've talked about. We've talked about what it means to be a disciple according to Jesus. Jesus says that if you want to follow him, you must be willing to forsake all. A true disciple is one who learns to deny himself and follow Christ. Jesus cares more about the quality of his disciples than the numbers. We make disciples by producing healthy sheep and healthy sheep will reproduce themselves. What do newborn babes eat? Let's turn to 1 Peter 2, verse 2. It says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. They need the pure milk of the word. But the goal is not to have them remain babies, but to have them grow to maturity, to be strong sheep, skilled in the word of righteousness protected from the lions who devour the sick and the young. We want to boast in the health of our sheep, not in the numbers. I suggested verse by verse, book by book, teaching of the Bible, preaching on every verse that God has for his people, not just the ones that we like. This type of preaching is causing a revival in some parts of America, and I know it will here too, if the Lord leads you to do it. I talked about your counseling with people, making sure to make time to answer the difficult questions that new believers ask, also helping people during their sufferings by teaching what the Bible says about sufferings in the Christian life, teaching them to expect suffering so they are not surprised by it, and even to embrace suffering like those in the Bible did, those who knew that God had a purpose for it in their lives. I talked about your life being an example being aware that you are a tool that God is using to teach them the behavior of a true disciple, and finally that you are a coach encouraging them to pray 
read the Bible, fast, and do all the other things that our flesh is weak in, but are very helpful in becoming a disciple. I've recently been invited to speak to up to 400 pastors at a conference being held in western Kenya in June of 2012. They have invited me to speak on the topics of evangelism, discipleship, and leadership. The conference will be held over the course of three days. Afterward, I will be traveling to other churches in Kenya and Uganda teaching on these same topics, as well as visiting many orphanages along the way. I will actually be in Kenya a little over two months. While my primary mission is to teach at these various locations, I also hope to accomplish much more during my stay in Kenya. The first is scripture distribution. In Kenya and Uganda, there are many pastors that I will be speaking to, especially in the more rural areas, that do not yet have a copy of the Bible in their native language, and so a primary goal will be to distribute copies of the scripture in the various dialects to the pastors that I will be teaching. I've also been developing a plan to get a digital Bible into the hands of even more people through the use of Bluetooth file transfer. It's been noted in a recent missions journal that although access to computers for the poor in these areas is minimal and not expected to change much anytime soon, access to older style cell phones is becoming nearly universal and affordable even for the relatively poor. At the conferences and meetings, I will be wirelessly transferring copies of the scripture in Swahili to any pastors that have mobile phones using Bluetooth because Bluetooth does not require an internet connection or a cell signal to transfer data. The idea is that these pastors can then go back to their home congregations and transfer these copies of the scripture to their own people who may for the first time have their own copy of the Word of God in their language. I've also been developing a copy of concordances that can be transferred using the same technology. This is pretty important as there's almost no Bible study tools that I can find available, such as concordances in many African dialects like Swahili. I have high hopes for the impact of this project alone on the Kenyan church and hopefully all of Africa. I also hope to set up at least one low-power FM radio station that can constantly play the scriptures in native dialects or verse-by-verse teaching using a small $100 FM transmitter and a simple MP3 player. If this combo is placed in the second floor of a church, it could easily cover an entire Kenyan town. Many people in Kenya have access to FM radios, and I believe this is a very cost-effective way to get the Bible to people. There are many other projects that I would like to do while in Kenya and Uganda, such as video documentaries, a translation of important videos to local dialects, refutations of local cult teachings, and of course the work with the orphanages. But the primary goal of the two months in Kenya is to equip the church in Kenya with the scripture and the ability to understand the scriptures more perfectly. I pray that you would consider supporting this mission to Africa. Literally anything will help. All donations are fully tax deductible and you will receive a receipt in the mail for your records at the end of the month that you contribute. I will seek to use any donations as wisely as I know how to. The stories of recent missionaries to this area are always similar. They report that the Kenyan church in their great need have had to rely fully on God They fast and pray and seek the Lord with all their heart. And as a result, they have a joy and a pure faith that we in the West can learn a lot from. 
Their lack now is only in the tools to understand the Bible more fully, to move from milk to solid food, to grow strong in their understanding of the scriptures. And I believe that God has a great plan for the Kenyan church in the future, not just to reach Africa, but to be a part of a great revival. Please join me in this opportunity for bearing fruit. There are links in the description section and on your screen for ways to donate.